All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. And we're getting close to the end of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 21. And today we'll be looking at the new Jerusalem. We've made it through the seven churches, the seven years of tribulation. We've seen a glimpse of the throne room of God. We've seen the return of Jesus Christ. We've seen the millennial kingdom. And now we are being introduced to the new heavens and the new earth that you and I will enjoy for all eternity. This is something to look forward to. This is something to encourage you as you go day by day and walk through this world with your Savior, Jesus. I'll never forget the first time my dad took me to downtown Chicago. He was a principal at a school in the city of Chicago, and he had to run into the office to get some things done. He asked me if I wanted to come with, and then he said, hey, listen, after I'm finished at my office, let's go downtown, let's hit this pizza place called Uno's, let's have pizza together, and then let's check out the city. I said, great, let's, let's do it. So we went downtown, and we went to his office, and then we went downtown, we were driving and just looking at the huge buildings. I don't know if it was actually my first time going down there, but it's the first time I remember going down there. And as we were eating dinner, it started getting dark, and then he said to me, he goes, do you want to see something spectacular? Now, you got to understand that when my dad says something like that, he was a jokester, he was a little sarcastic, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's the guy that introduced me to the whole concept of pull my finger, okay? All right, I'm just going to be honest with you, so I got a little worried, what do you, what, what do you mean, Dad? What, what, what are we going to see? What's spectacular? And he took me to the Sears Tower and we went to the top. And he goes, when we were going up in the elevator... You could just feel how fast the elevator was traveling. And as I stepped out of the elevator and we began to walk towards the windows, seeing the city of Chicago lit up the way it was, it was truly spectacular. He said, Eric, I couldn't even try to describe it to you. I, I don't know the words that I could use to adequately describe what you're seeing, so I just believed you had to see it for yourself. And he was so true, he was so right when he said that. Some years later, after being married, I took Dina down to the 95th floor of the signature room of the John Hancock for one of our anniversary dinners. And we were sitting next to the window of the John Hancock building, and we were looking out over the city of Chicago, and I remembered my dad. I remember the first time I saw that view. I remember him saying how indescribable it actually was. And now I was seeing it as an individual older, as a Christian. And I said to myself in my heart at that moment, I think I said it to Dina, can you imagine what the new Jerusalem is going to look like if the city of Chicago at night looks like this? And I think that's what we're going to discover as we get into this next portion of Scripture together is that John is limited in his vocabulary. He's trying to describe something to us that I think we can only appreciate and understand and really comprehend when we see it ourselves. So it's, 
we can't get dogmatic about some of the things that he says and try to interpret meaning where we don't know with certainty that meaning is there. But let us get the spectacular wonder that he is trying to communicate to us about the new Jerusalem. A Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for us to dwell in for all eternity. A glory that we can't even fathom or imagine in our finite minds awaits you and I. One writer said this, that we currently today live between Eden and the new heavens and the new earth, being pulled towards what we once were and we, what we will yet become. That's what we look forward to. You know, in this world, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have trials, troubles, and tribulations. That goes without saying. I think too many American Christians believe that God is going to take away all of our hard times, that we're not going to go through suffering and difficulty. And yet it is in those times when he allows these things to occur that we all often grow the most, that we see him work in the most intense ways, that we see his hand guiding us like we haven't seen before. And I find that summed up in the thoughts of Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, notice what he says, for our light afflictions which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what we are living for. We are living for the eternal. And yeah, we're going to go through tough times. We're going to have difficulties, and they may come in very many shapes, forms, and sizes. But to sustain us as we go through these times, we know that these light afflictions are temporary. And what waits for us is an eternal weight of glory that we at this point can't even comprehend. So let us now move into the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 9. And we find an angel speaking with John, one of the angels that was uh, used to pour out one of the final bold judgments in Revelation chapter 17. Notice with me, then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, let us remember that throughout the Scripture, the manner in which our relationship with God has always been described is that of a marriage. Paul the Apostle said that our marriages as Christians are meant, are meant to reflect to the entire world our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is meant to be an illustration that people can look upon and see that God loves them, and how we should respond to that love. But I thought we were talking about a city. So is the bride of Christ us, individuals, as peoples? 
Or is it a new Jerusalem, a new city for us to dwell in for all eternity? The answer to that question is yes, it is both. When a Jewish man was betrothed to his wife, that betrothal period could last quite a long time. The reason for that is because the man after his betrothal period began with his new wife would leave his wife and go and prepare a house for them to dwell in and to start their own family within. And so the marriage between the husband and the wife wasn't only something uniquely contained to them, but it also was found in the dwelling place that was prepared for them by the husband. Now, if you think back to what Jesus said, remember he says, I go and prepare a place for you. A mansion not built with human hands. As Paul reminds us that not only what waits for us is a glorified body that is no longer affected by the stain of sin, but now we are told that a new heavens and a new earth for us to dwell in for all eternity waits us that we may dwell with God as he originally intended us to dwell from the very beginning. Notice with me, if you will, as we walk through some of the Old Testament passages reminding us of this very fact, calling us the bride. In Isaiah 54, 6, should be on the screen behind me, for the Lord has called you like a woman, forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you refuse says your God. In Isaiah 62, 5, for a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. As, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Jeremiah 2, 32, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Or in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and a children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And of course, when we entered into the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. This is us, folks. Clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then, of course, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, we we'll look at it in a week or so. And the Spirit says to the bride, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. And of course, Jesus reminds us of this in John 14. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is just like the Jewish husband who's betrothed to his wife. This is what Joseph did before he came back for Mary. He went and prepared a place for them to dwell. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In Hebrews 11.10, again, it just continues. For he waited for the city which has foundations, 
whose builder and maker is God. This is our hope, that the new heavens and the new earth allow us to dwell in intimacy with God for all eternity, apart from any of the stain of sin and of death. It gives us an opportunity to enjoy that intimacy with God that we have. Today, as a Christian, I can go before God the Father in and through Jesus. He is the mediator that makes that possible. But still, there's a degree of separation, isn't there? There's still that degree of separation that was felt all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When we're, after the fall, they were separated from God. God had to seek them out as a loving father would. And then in the tabernacle, as they began their wanderings and their journeys with God, the tabernacle was divided, the Holy of Holies, from the other section of the tabernacle by a veil continually reminding people of the separation that they have from their God. When we got to the temple, the temple Holy of Holies was shrouded with a large veil. And that veil remained until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ had been accomplished, his death, allowing for the veil to be torn from top to bottom, allowing us a new revived intimacy with God in and through Jesus Christ. And yet we still feel a degree of separation, don't we? James went on to say that there's something very interesting about this relationship. He said, draw near to God and he shall draw near to you. So often I hear Christians say to me, oh, I just feel distant from God. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God doesn't care about me. When in actuality, it isn't God that moved away from you. It's you who moved away from God. In some way, shape, or form, you moved away from God and James invites you to come back. You draw near to God and how will God respond? He will draw near to you. If you feel distant from God today in your walk with Him, ask the Lord to search your heart, to see if there be any wicked way as David prayed for himself, that that intimacy may be regained once again. You know, I don't have to convince any married couple here that there are various stages of the intimacy within your marriage. Now, I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about personal intimacy. There are times where the house is just too big, and you just want to be around your spouse all the time. And those moments are indicated by the strange words that we use as nicknames for our spouse. I know that Dina is really happy with me when she goes, come here, chicken. I don't know why she calls me chicken. I'm afraid to ask. I am. But I, and I don't ask because I'm in a good place, and if I ask, I'm afraid we won't be in a good place, you know. But there are other times that the house isn't big enough, and you just want your opposite end of privacy and so forth, and yet you're still married, and yet you see that there are varying degrees of intimacy that can be had. You leave the cap off the toothpaste. You leave the seat up. Okay, come on, men. Don't tell me you never did these things, okay? Just something has happened. You didn't respond with the right nickname after she called you chicken. Does it happen to you? You know. And you find yourself 
not in strange, but you just don't want to be around that. That intimacy has been affected by something that has occurred. Usually something that the husband has done wrong, if you ask the wife. And as a result, you feel distant. But you're still married. You're still legally married. It's just the house isn't big enough. That can happen with God also. Because of our sin, it doesn't throw us out of the family of God. When we as Christians disobey, it doesn't necessarily mean we're thrown out of the family of God. But what it does mean is is that intimacy that God wants to have with us has been strained. And there's only one way back, and that's through repentance. This is why John wrote what he wrote in John, 1 John uh, 1, 19. He said, uh, he says, if we confess our sins, 2.19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is written to Christians. That is your first step back to intimacy with God. It is drawing near to him and allowing him to draw near to you. The separation now often occurs, almost always occurs when we have moved away from God. It is never caused by him moving away from you. As we talk about this place, the writer of Hebrews went on to say in Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. These are all looking forward to this new heavens and the new earth the new Jerusalem that God is providing for us. Let's look at the cityscape together in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, top of the building. He's given us an aerial perspective. And showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God Her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the 12 angels at the gates, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, Three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. As we look at the cityscape, again, let us realize that he is confined by the language and the vocabulary that he has. But this dwelling place is the real focal point that we need to consider. Our dwelling place with God, okay? Now again, remember, from the Garden of Eden, we were separate from God. Throughout the tabernacle, separate from God. Throughout the temple, separate from God. Then Jesus came that allows us the mediator between us and God. Now we can come into his presence through Jesus Christ. But when the new Jerusalem comes, we will be able to dwell with him 
physically, if you will, spiritually, if you will, with him in the new glorified bodies that God has for us. Now, we don't know a lot about these glorified bodies, but one of the things I'm really hoping for is that God helps me with my hairline, okay? I don't know what it is, but after every baptism, people come out of the water and they're celebrating their new life in Jesus Christ, but it seems like year after year after year, I seem to leave hair in the water. I was looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see my reflection. I'm hoping and praying that God restores the hair that he has taken away. You know, it says, God has every hair on your head numbered. You know, what does my ledger look like? Subtraction, 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 you know. God giveth and God taketh away. We don't know what these heavenly bodies are going to be like, but we do know that they will be designed for allow, to allow us to enjoy eternity with God for eternity. Of course, we know these physical bodies are limited, aren't they? We get tired, we get hungry, we have certain needs as people that need to be satisfied the way God created us and ways God created us to be satisfied. We have all of these components. We need oxygen, we need water to live. These bodies were created for here. Our glorified bodies, which is part of that dwelling place, will allow us to enjoy eternity, to allow us to enjoy this city to the fullest. Have you ever walked across the city of Chicago? It is a lot bigger than you think. I went with some friends years ago, and they said, look, you know, we're going to hit the museum, and then we're going to walk to Navy Pier. I was like, this is before Uber and, uh, you know, Lyft and all of that. Oh, my gosh. It's it just like we saw Navy Pier from a distance. We'll get there, really, we will, by tomorrow, you know. Somebody thought it was a good idea. And then my friend, and I should have realized this before I got involved with him, that he has a tendency to underestimate things. He said, but on the map, it looks so close. I'm like, oh, you know. It's like, come on. My physical body, our physical bodies, we're tired after that journey. But in heaven, we'll get to walk from one side to the other. And we will no longer be limited by the physical restraints that we have today. Notice with me that this temple that we are looking forward to is already in us today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice what Paul then went on to write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 22. He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord, 
in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The work that God has already started with you. Remember we talked about this last week. We wait for these new heavens and new earth as part of this new creation, but have discovered that the Bible already tells us that we are part of that process already. God has started this work in you already today. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. He is getting ready to take us to himself in the new heaven and the new earth in the new Jerusalem that he is about to provide for us. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, In both the tabernacle and the temple, the veil stood between men and God. That veil was torn in two when Jesus died, thus opening a new and living way for God's people. Even though God dwells in believers today by His Spirit, we still have not begun to understand God or fellowship with Him as we would like. But one day we shall dwell in God's presence and enjoy Him forever. One commentator noticed that John describes the three elements of a city that would be most concerning to the people of his time. That is the foundations, that is the walls, and that is the gates. The foundations in which John refers to lets his readers know at that time. Now, the Jewish people had been displaced. Revelation was written in 95 A.D., Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD. They were dispersed throughout Asia Minor. They didn't have a homeland. They didn't have a city uh, to call their own. And as a result, John is saying, but yes, God is preparing a city for you, this city. And the very first thing that they needed to know was the permanence of this city. And that's why John began with its foundation. This is a, not a tent that you're going to be carrying through the wilderness with you. This is not going to be a, a temporary structure that takes you from one place to the other as you wander as a no-man through this land. This is a permanent place that God is dwelling for us, and it is immovable, and nothing will shake its foundations. Also, the walls speak of protection. One of the things that you notice when you read the Bible, every city had walls from Jericho to Jerusalem. These walls were always there to protect the people, to keep them from harm. Now these walls, we will see, are crystal clear. The protection that we have is from God himself, and the transparency of these walls demonstrates that. God's dwelling with us in this perfect place allows us to rest securely knowing that He is in control, He is on the throne, and that He is watching over all of His people. But at this point in time, there's nothing that can harm us. God is with us. Now that reality is true today. God does watch over His people. God knows what we are going through. God is in control. But right now, we see the duality of what God's kingdom is bringing about and the world that is resisting that kingdom every single step of the way. That's why we find us, ourselves in the positions that we do. But in the end, as we've said from the very beginning of this book, God wins. And we can be assured of that, knowing that nothing is going to stop Him from fulfilling all that He desires to fill. 
And lastly, the gates. Now, these aren't gates to keep people out. These angels are not simply there to screen people, to make sure you have your digital ID or some kind of passport that may be issued to you. These angels are there to welcome us into the incredible new Jerusalem that God has provided for us. How would you like to high-five an angel on your way in? Okay, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. You know, some people have this idea of angels, that they are this little round puffy thing sitting on a cloud with little tiny wings that are disproportionate to their body size, and they play the harp, okay? I, I'm sorry, my theological understandings of angels, long hairs, long hair, okay, tattoo sleeves, okay, tough guys, not playing harps, but electric guitars, okay? I mean, these guys are ready to go. I mean, you know, I would not be surprised if they have angelic Harleys in heaven that they ride in on, okay? I'm being facetious for those who may not know me. But these angelic creatures are no wimps by any way, shape, or form. And they are there to welcome you and I in. And as we walk in, fist bump, high five, as we enjoy the presence of God. I love what one wrote. He said, the truth about the heavenly city is more than is described, but not less. Not different from what is described. It is a material creation, yet so unique as to be unimaginable to us. The words of John provide all the detail that we have been given by God to excite our hope in what is still yet to come. Meaning, to whet our appetites. This is an appetizer, okay? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Notice with me in verse 15, if you will. And he who talked with me had a golden reed. Now we're going to get the specs of the city. And you talked to me, had a golden reed. It's a me- this is a measuring tool that they used then. It's like a tape measure. The city, its gates and its walls. And the city laid out as a square. Its length is great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height. So it's in the shape of a square, which is significant. I'll talk about that in a moment. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the construction of it, of its walls, were of jasper, and the city was pure as gold, like clear glass. Now, why are we given the dimensions? There are a lot of interpreters who have different ideas about these dimensions. Some interpret them perfectly literal, that this city is a cube, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high, a perfect cube. That is consistent with our understanding of the Holy of Holies that was in the temple. The Holy of Holies was a cube itself. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20... 
The inner sanctuary has 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the uh, altar of cedar. Okay, so what he's saying here is that the Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle and then in the temple was a perfect cube. It would be right to consider the New Jerusalem a perfect cube because we now are all dwelling with God in the permanent Holy of Holies, no separation, complete intimacy with God, and no doubt that this is what John had in mind to encourage his Jewish readers and those who would read it afterwards, saying that the Holy of Holies will be our dwelling place for all eternity. How's that sound? It's so fascinating to think of the Old Testament when the, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they used to literally tie a rope on his leg. And if they heard the bells that were hung from the bottom of his robe stop ringing, they would pull on the rope because in some way it could mean that he was defiled in a way, went before God and was struck dead. Okay, not a job for me. All right? Okay, now you got to go into the Holy of Holies. Okay. We got to tie a rope to your leg. Oh, okay. Uh, now, by the way, what's that rope for? Well, if God doesn't like what he sees, he's going to kill you on the spot and we're going to have to drag you out because we can't go in after you. Oh, okay. That sounds good. No. But that's how serious the holiness of God actually is. You know, we, say, we talk about the holiness of God very uh, loosely and sometimes with irreverence. But this is how serious it actually was. And Jesus now, John is telling us that that holy of holies is where we're going to dwell for all eternity. Praise God. And that's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is interesting to me that one had said, well, how big is this actual city? Well, if you were to lay it over a map of the United States, it would go from Canada to Mexico, from Los Angeles to St. Louis. Pretty big place. The ground level of it would cover 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England, 15,000 times bigger than London. It is 10 times as big as France or Germany and far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level. Are you guys getting a little excited about checking out this city? Yeah, I am. You know, look for me. I'm probably the guy that they're like, all right, we're not sure we're going to let this guy in. Hey, that was my pastor. Yeah. <laughs> Being held back by the angels. Jesus, what do you think about this one? Well, you know, it's all about grace. Notice with me then the construction of the city in verse 18. And the constructions of its wall was of jasper. Now again, notice all the precious stones that he lists here. And the city was pure gold like glass. Now remember the inner of the Holy of Holies. Gold, again, was used. The construction of its walls was of jasper. We heard that, verse 19. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. Second, sapphire. Uh, third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sarnyx. The sixth, sardis. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. Uh, 
the 11th Jankith, and the 12th Amethyst. Now, before we get into the details of these stones, let us understand that other translations translate them differently. Agate and other stones are used. The actual characteristics of the stone, I think, in collective, are meant to say that the foundations of the walls around Jerusalem, the foundation of the city itself, is the fact that the bride has been selected from every nation and every tongue and every people group that the world has within it. That you and I, though our sins were as scarlet, now they are as white as snow. As we were cold, now we are diamonds because of the hand of God who has created us and also conformed us into the image of Jesus. The foundation of the city is meant to remind us of the brilliance of the work that Jesus Christ has done in us. You know, all of us are a work in progress. We cannot forget that. All of us, each and every day, have to be reminded that God is working in us. Now, sometimes we don't see that day to day, do we? Sometimes we can't see that transformation. Sometimes we can't see the, the fact that we are being conformed into the image of God. You know, I, I've shared this story many times that it reminds me of the first trip I had down to Disney World with my family. Again, it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And my parents decided to torture their kids by telling us that for Easter break, we would be going to Disney for our vacation. They told us in December, and every day dragged on. It was like a drip of water. It just would never come. And my mom thought she was helping. Let's cross off every day until we finally get to the day we can leave for Disney. And it was torturous. I think my sister actually grabbed the marker to see if she could make time go by faster. But then we got down there, and to my surprise, it wasn't the happiest experience of my life. My grandpa picked us up from the airport, brought us back to his home for dinner. My grandma and grandpa asked me, you know, did you enjoy going to Disney? They were all excited. I go, no, I didn't like it at all. Didn't like it at all, and I hate Donald Duck. And they're like, what? How can you hate Donald Duck? I said, yeah, because every single ride I wanted to go on, you had to be as tall as Donald Duck's hand. And I was down here. So my grandfather said, okay, well, how high do you have to be? And my dad said, yeah, maybe 48 inches, 42 inches, whatever it was. So we went to the door, and they marked a little notch. All right, when you get this tall again, I'll make sure your parents take you back, and you can go on all the rides. Again, talk about tormenting your children. Every weekend, we ran to that doorpost. And guess what? We didn't grow at all. We didn't grow at all. Finally, we just gave up. Well, years later, after my grandparents went home to be with the Lord, I was helping clean out their home, and I walked by the doorpost. And there was the mark. You know what? It was down here now. I had finally grown past Donald's hand. After years of passing, I finally now can go on the big rides. Okay? See, I didn't see it happening day by day, but I was growing. And then looking back at it in hindsight, I said, wow, I've come a long way. 
Now, I don't say that to boast because when I look forward, I still have a long way to go. But be encouraged. God never stops working in your life. Never. All things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Everything does. Everything you're experiencing, God is using in some way to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. So don't be discouraged if you don't see it. Don't be discouraged and God's not working or God has forgotten about me or God has... No. God loves you too much to leave you the way He found you. And He is working in you. And one day, I guarantee you, we will be gathering in this city together. In the gazebo, Chris will be leading us in worship. He'll be taking our church there. He'll be, he'll be taking us into the presence of God. He'll say, now focus on the presence of God. And we won't even have to think about it mentally. We'll just turn because there's the throne room of Jesus right there. It'll be right in front of us. In each and every way, it reminds us of the various elements that God is building, taking the coal that he found and creating diamonds. But notice with me in verse 21. And the 12 gates were the 12 pearls. Each gate was one pearl. And the streets of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I think John selected a pearl specifically to describe the gate. When an oyster creates a pearl, are you familiar with the process? It begins with some irritant entering into the oyster, often a grain of sand. And that irritant will often cause a significant injury within the oyster. So the manner in which the injury is you know, resolved and healed is by the oyster creating a pearl out of that grain of sand that has caused injury to it. And eventually the pearl is formed. Now think about the significance of that understanding when we think about these gates. Our entrance into this, these gates has only been allowed by the injury that occurred to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He took that injury and he made a pearl. Think of each and every time we go through trial, trouble, and tribulation, and God brings us through that. Those irritants, those injuries, those difficulties that we experience, God brings into pearls. God is using them. And each and every time we walk into this city and we see that pearl, we are reminded of what it took for us to be there in the presence of God. It took the sacrifice and suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's now reigning in glory. Isn't that beautiful to consider? But it doesn't stop there. Notice with me in verse 21. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of a sun or a moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And there shall be no night, meaning the gates are open all the time. And they shall bring glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means be any, enter into anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, 
but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what we have to look forward to. There's no darkness at all. Right now, Jesus says men love darkness rather than coming to the light. There is no error, only truth. There is no corruption and disorder. There's only God's perfection. There is uh, no impure flesh, but a pure spirit. God's heavenly kingdom versus Satan's worldly kingdom. Satan's kingdom has been brought to an end. One wrote again, Chuck Swindoll, he said, When John said that night will no longer exist in the New Jerusalem, he was speaking literally. But it has spiritual applications. In the new creation, error, sin, corruption, the fallen flesh, evil administration of the world will be eradicated. As light is displaces darkness, so the holy shining presence of God will drive out the wickedness and falsehood. In this light, the glory of God, uh, all nations will walk. They will pass through open gates, entering into the presence of God without hindrance or hesitation. And again, Dr. John Wolverd, I love his writings. Though the description of the city does not answer all the questions concerning the eternal state, the revelation given to John describes a beautiful and glorious future for all who put their trust in the living God. Now, here's the question. If something were to happen to you, if you were to stand before God tonight, would you be confident that He would know you? Would you be confident that this gate would be open to you? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? A lot of people think that they have when they haven't. Because one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will begin to live as Jesus Christ desires them to live. It's not the works that saves us. It's the works that demonstrate that we are truly saved. You know, a lot of people are pursuing the things of this world. They're looking to accumulate. Today, one of the biggest um, desires of young people, 18 and older, are to become a YouTube influencer and make millions of dollars. You know, it reminds me of a story of someone who went to heaven and was allowed to bring something with him. There was this man who pleaded with God and said, listen, God, I, 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 I've accumulated this wealth. Can I bring a suitcase with me? Just one suitcase. And God said, okay, I'll let you bring one suitcase. So when he finally arrived at heaven's door, Peter welcomed him there, and there is this man standing with the suitcase. Okay, this is a joke. This isn't biblical, okay? Like, where is that in the Bible? And so he showed Peter the suitcase, and he said, okay, and God says it was okay. Okay, I got the memo. Yeah, that's okay. So John came up to Peter and said, hey, you know, what in the world that guy thought was so important to bring to heaven? Peter looked at John and said, you know what? I don't get it. I don't get it. I opened it up. And I found asphalt because the streets are streets of gold. What was important to that man to bring to heaven was mere asphalt in the new heavens and the new earth. So maybe all those things that are important to us aren't necessarily important to God. So where do you stand with God today? What is your hope built in? The things of this world 
or God. We're going to close in prayer, and I'd like to pray with you. And if you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that this heaven waits for you, then I'd like you to pray with me this morning. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, you know each and every person that is here today. Father, you know everything that they're going through, the difficulties, the struggles, the trials, the tribulations. You've brought each and every person here today to hear about you. Heavenly Father, I just pray that if there is anyone here today who isn't sure, that they would make sure before they leave today. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know for certainty that if they were to die tonight, God forbid, you forbid, that they would enter into the kingdom of heaven, I pray that you would press upon their hearts to get right with you. And to do so, they have to realize that they have sinned against you. And that was the necessity of Jesus Christ coming to the cross, to settle a debt of sin that we could not settle ourselves. It was that sin that separated us from you and kept us separated from you until the new heavens and new earth, or until Jesus Christ came. But once Christ came and the sin then was paid for by him, we now can have the assurance of eternal life in you. If we will confess our sins to you and repent of them and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that his death paid for those sins and on the third day he rose again to show that that sacrifice in which he made was accepted by you. That they can die to the old life and become new people in you. They can start a new life and discover for the very first time what real love is. Discover what true peace is, what true joy is. Discover, Lord, that you are a loving and caring Father that has been seeking them and bringing them to this point. I pray that in this moment in time they would pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Father, I know I have sinned against you. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know what that all means, but I trust him for my salvation and him alone. Father, begin a new work in me. Make all things pass away, all old things and all things brand new this morning. And Father, I pray, and I'm not going to walk away from you anymore in my life. I want to walk towards you and with you through this life. And I ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and if you'd like to start a new relationship with Jesus Christ, will you come see me after church? I have a Bible for you, no strings attached. Just I ask that you read it. I have a brand new Bible for you, specifically waiting in my office for you because God knew you were coming today. That being said, if you have if the um, baptism certificates, if you want to grab them from me, please do for, before you leave. So let's stand for our closing song. And we'll see you next week.